Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast about our tricky relationship with stuff and how to fix it. I'm Ali Moore from ReLondon, and I'm joined today by our business transformation manager, Lamir Sabiti. Welcome to the podcast, Lamir. Hi, Ali. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure. We're really excited for you to be here. I knew you were going to be the perfect person to bring in on this conversation because your team's actually worked with a guest we're speaking to today, haven't you? We have. Um, So as part of the work we do, my team and I get to work with so many exciting, innovative businesses and founders in London who are looking to disrupt how our economy works by bringing to the market some really exciting solutions. And today's business is no exception. Definitely. So probably a good time to introduce you all to our guest, who is Sophia Qureshi, founder and CEO of Club Zero. Mm. So Club Zero is a returnable packaging system for brands that sell food and beverage, and they're available across the world. They're really a pioneer in this space, one of the first to create this kind of a system. And they partner with businesses to try and create a more sustainable offering and experience for when we want to eat and drink on the go. Exactly, exactly. And they've partnered with some really major brands as well, haven't they? From Starbucks to McDonald's and recently a really exciting collaboration with the food delivery app Just Eat. Yeah, some really interesting work is going on with Sophia and the Club Zero team. And it's been so impressive what they've been able to build so far and how rapidly they've grown. They're a really great example of a business that takes both a systems approach to change. So thinking about the bigger picture and the infrastructure that needs to come with that, but without losing sight of the customer experience and what makes humans behave the way they do. Yeah, agreed. And that behavioral element is really important, I think, in all of this and obviously close to my heart. So should we hear what Sophia has to say about all of this? Let's do it. In my conversation with Sophia, we find out more about how the company started, about their plans for expansion, and why consumers are far more powerful than they think. So, on to the interview with Sophia Qureshi from Club Zero. Sophia, if you'd just like to give us a quick introduction, uh, who you are and what you do, please. Hi, I'm Sophia Qureshi, founder and CEO at Club Zero. And can you tell us a little bit about Club Zero? What, what's it all about and what do you do? Club Zero is a returnable packaging brand. We work in the zero waste space. We support essentially uh, what I would call the alternatives movement, um, which uh, we've seen alternatives to meats. We've seen alternatives to dairy And what we provide is an alternative to single-use packaging, which means giving customers the option to take away their food and beverage with reusable packaging that they can return. So we make all of that happen for major brands and uh, partners uh, here in London and then also West Coast and Palo Alto. Nice. And so I saw on the website that you work with people like Starbucks and McDonald's and, and Yum Brands, presumably quite a range of brands with them. Um, how does that work in practice with them? Have you got a concrete example? Yeah. So we were actually awarded the, um, what we call the Cup Challenge. It was a next-gen Cup Challenge, which has all of these major brands um, in partnership we're looking for solutions that would reduce the consumption of single-use beverage containers across their um, food and restaurants. Mm. Um, So the likes of Starbucks and McDonald's jointly built essentially and put together a pot of funds to support this to to be 
essentially piloted globally in different cities and Club Zero won the opportunity to support them in an expansion of reusable packaging in Palo Alto, which we launched in February 2020. And is that still going? Well, that's going to be picked up again um, subsequently. So we had rolled out February 2020. Great timing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And um, it went remarkably well. Of course, the issue was that we ran into a global pandemic and things had to be put on pause, which affected everybody. So um, I think we'll be looking to reinstate our operations in North America um, as part of our expansion next year. And that's when we will reignite essentially what we were doing prior but right now it's yeah it was put on pause immediately after and focus really is is london which is what has uh, a lot of yeah a lot of a lot of the news recently yeah and there was so the announcement about the collaboration with camden council and first mile in king's cross it what's happening with that one because i've seen these some those beautiful bright yellow bags how does that one work yeah so the partnership also includes just eat which is our delivery partner and what what we've done is through i guess covid we all learned that the new needs of customers involve delivery that's going to be to home because we have now uh, moving forward more a hybrid model we won't have the same amount of time that we'll be spending outside the home we'll be working in home and we wanted to make sure that we provided customers with the option for reusable packaging, not just on the go, but also direct to home. So they could opt into delivery and opt into reusable packaging and have that delivered. So the yellow bags that you see, they are fundamentally the return bags. They deliver the the food to you. And then when you're finished, you put all of your used packaging into those. You leave them outside and you arrange pickup from home and we come and collect it. So does that mean that everyone who gets a delivery from Just Eat can opt into this and get their own yellow bag then and you just keep it at home and pop it in there? Yes, yes. Oh. If, you've, if you've selected Club Zero reusable packaging, you will get um, a yellow bag and you can opt into having that picked up um, the next day. Um, yeah, that's part of the service. That's amazing. And is there any kind of cost implications on that one or...? As, well, as a yeah, we as a customer. So what we what we're trying to do is, of course, make this super seamless and easy to use. Mm-hmm. So giving people the convenience of being able to return it from home is very much a, a convenient tactic. It's it's quite premium, so we do charge. Yeah. But if you have, for example, all of your food containers collecting over the course of the week, um, the bags are pretty big so you can fit them all in Mm. you only really need one collection a week so yeah we do we do charge so i think um it's charged out per bag um but it seems a small price to pay instead of asking a customer to go and return the packaging to any club zero location which they can do for free yeah so they have that uh, as an option okay so there's locations as well around the neighborhood where they could they could theoretically take their stuff and, and pop it in there without yeah Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, in terms of your involvement in this, Safia, uh, how did it all start for you? Because I've noticed that you're an award-winning architect in your spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you seem to have had quite a diverse background. What What brought you here, and and how does that how does your background help with it all? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's all the same. If you look at it, we, we think or the way that I evaluate everything is to design fantastic spaces that are city, you know, city scale that are designed for well-being. So this is making places that people can enjoy, that, you know, order things, that there are the right places to put things and manage things. Mm-hmm. Um and so my preoccupation is very much around design. It's very much around systems thinking. It's very much around ensuring that, you know, well-being is thought and considered at scale, at city scale. And so whether that is a building, whether that is infrastructure, which is really what Club Zero is, um, it's a system, it's a new infrastructure. It requires operational design. It requires physical product design. It requires um, systems thinking, liaising with city councils, with developers, with engineers, with designers. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all things that I do day in, day out as an architect. So the, the, the cross-fertilization is pretty natural and it's, um, it's more a sort of a, a play on everything that happens outside necessarily. Uh, well, kind of like the glue of what combines different spaces. So it's less about mm-hmm. the physical building, but you know, well, how do we maintain or reduce um, systems around waste? And why would we even tender for waste, for example, when we can tender for a, a returnable system? And why why can't we start to implement those into buildings and then on the go? So, yeah, it's it's very transferable. It's cross-multidisciplinary team coordination that's required. It's public and private sector. It's yeah. um, you know, It's got a customer or a consumer at heart, which is going to be using it. Um, and so it requires a serious understanding of user experience to to make it super seamless and and effective. So yeah, and majorly measured as well. We we're probably the only reuse company that's at this point in time certainly the first as well in 2017, 2018 when we published our lifecycle assessment because we really felt the need to evaluate what a reuse system could bring from not just a um, a value of being zero waste, but also a value of being fully measured across carbon, um, so embodied as well as operational carbon. So that, again, you know, the idea of measuring things and being mm. accountable to what you're building and transparent about it across sectors is really critical for us from the beginning. Mm. So what are the numbers then? What kind of What kind of impact? So this is what's really fascinating is we very much designed the entire reuse model, which the EMF has also since published in its reuse book, which um, hopefully listeners have, have looked at. And once you design a system, you can measure it. It's, this is you know not rocket science. And there were about 90 different data sets, which um, we composed and then we worked with an external consultancy group. Um, who also work with the likes of Sainsbury's and Co-op and Virgin and um, supplied them with everything from where the product is produced, what materials go into it, how it's shipped, and then what are the operational um, aspects, you know, which machines are used, what's the water intake of those and sold. I mean, it's very, very granular, which vehicles you use, et cetera, et cetera. So ISO certification, so you can't really sort of skip these. Mm-hmm. Um, and the results were quite staggering. So you for reuse models, what you do is you you first of all, you put the product in and then you look at how many times that product is going to last. So how many uses is it designed for? 
Ours are 250. It's mm, quite impressive. Yeah. And, um, and when, you, when you measure that against the incumbent, you then multiply the incumbent by that same number because that's what you are essentially displacing. Sure. And then you get a like-for-like calculation. So our calculations are that we save CO2. We only use half the amount of CO2 to single use. That's fantastic news, isn't it? It's amazing. And I think the most important factor that maybe some people stumble on is you have to measure the product, but then also the product's life cycle. So how many times does it move through the cycle? And yes, there's definitely a requirement for for reuse products to be reused a certain number of times before they break even. Mm. And after they break even, they basically are, you know, they're just carbon free. So you calculate across the whole life cycle. And then how we've done it is on a per use, we know exactly how much CO2, energy, waste, paper, plastic we save. And then we can report that we can we can tell, you know, every single host and brand exactly how much CO2, waste, energy, paper, plastic they save based on the volumes that they have bought from us. Mm. Um, And so that's valuable. I imagine it's a really compelling selling point for um, customers as well. If those who are looking to save a bit of carbon themselves, it kind of puts it into their own hands in a way, gives them the power to make a decision themselves as an individual. Yeah. So I noticed on your website, you use that David Attenborough quote about the power of the individual um, to make a change. Yeah. Is this part of your active approach to messaging around the service? That's a good question. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when people talk about, I guess, the approach that a lot of folks, well, some folks have is, oh, gosh, the consumer is powerless. You know, we, this is all down to major institutions and mm. large corporates. And, you know, what, what do we have that can enable anything? And ironically, I would say it's the absolute opposite. The consumer, the end user has all the power because they are the denominator to everybody. Mm. They're the denominator to the corporate. They're the denominator to the bank. They're the denominator to small businesses that provide solutions like us. And I've seen it firsthand, right? So in 2015, when I started this, it was, you know, there was no evidence to support that consumers were aware that there was a global plastic crisis. There was no awareness within a consumer's mind. And so I had a a number of meetings with the GLA at that time um, to discuss setting up a returnable system. And they just were, you know, they were they were very mindful that yes, this issue is is known in the industry, but it's not known in the consumer's mind. Mm -hmm. And so educating the consumer would be the first step. And And solution providers like us, that's not our role. Our role is to provide the solution. But if a consumer doesn't know that there's a problem, it's really hard to provide the solution. Exactly. So what was interesting, and it, I think, supports this statement that I've started just now, is in 2017, the, the likes of David Attenborough, who's an incredibly respected and, you know, global, I would say, leader in in many ways um, and somebody who is trusted spoke out about this particular crisis and made it very visual and overnight the consumers knew and suddenly the conversation changed suddenly 
it wasn't about, oh, the consumers don't understand this issue. It was, okay, what can we do about it? And and that tells you the power of consumers. Uh, ultimately, they are the decision makers. They buy from everybody and they are the denominator. So half of the work that we do is about educating the consumer. It's it's about telling them the status quo. And a lot of there's still a lot of education yet to be done because Unfortunately, there are a lot of, you know, companies out there informing consumers that recycling is working very well and that uh, that things that they put in their waste is going to be dealt with. But actually, it's not. And there's an awful lot more that we can do to to really inform consumers around the topic of contamination, for example. And what does that mean? What what does it mean for a consumer um, who's just eaten something and throws you know, that into a bin, which contaminates everything else. Well, everything gets incinerated. That's what happens. But a consumer isn't aware of that. And so there's a lot more to do. But what I do argue is I feel that they are a lot more powerful than than they assume. And they kind of need to be almost enabled. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of the next step, I guess. We, we're always experimenting on this. Yeah. But presumably you have some sort of early adopter type customers um who who participates typically in a service like yours do you have any insights or research into what your typical customer looks like at the moment yeah so i mean we have a a customer net promoter score of 75 right which is staggeringly amazing um 80 is outstanding so we're five short of outstanding now we have a priority to make, I mean, Club Zero's focus always from a product angle. The top of the pyramid is customer experience. And then that's what we use to optimize and design everything. We we think about host experience uh, or what the host has to do as a secondary. We, we focus on the okay. customer having the least amount of work. So we will offload everything from the customer and ensure that the host is dealing with that to make this an optimal experience because again like I said the host I think is secondary the people who have the most power is a consumer it's a customer mm. um, and they are the movement um, you know when you speak to any kind of business they they want to ensure optimal customer experience so you know everybody wants the same thing so it's really easy to to build a playbook out of that so to answer your point who are the early adopters they are typically individuals who believe in the zero waste movement and there are folks who you know already support brands that are in the alternatives movement so alternatives to meat-based products or your plant-based products the alternatives to dairy individuals who are you know either in that space of zero waste or they operate or whether they're ngo based or public or private sector these are sort of um your your sort of pool and within those you have different demographics you have moms who have kids who are very conscious and you have the young generation who are a bit more technology savvy and yeah. i guess for them they they're a bit more aware there is a sort of a gap we'd notice between something like the 40 to 55-year-olds who have, I guess, not been part of the movements. And so they are less inclined so far. That's what we're reading into. Um, They're the generation that fell in, I guess, between the cracks because 
I mean, I certainly am Gen Y. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is your generation just prior that hasn't yet seen or been part of the you know the reuse revolution, and they feel they're a little bit too late in the game to do anything about it anyway. So they're less inclined, whereas you see a more sense of urgency in the younger population. Sure. So you talked about it being predominantly people who are kind of part of that alternatives movement. Mm. In terms of mainstreaming, what do you think needs to happen next to to reach people who aren't part of that movement? Well, you socialise the idea. So if you look at, um, I mean, Tesla is a great example because they didn't build a car. Mm. They... They built an experience and we very much are aiming to do exactly that. What we don't want to do is fixate ourselves or fixate our our offer to just a product, but we're fixating on the vision, which is how do we create zero waste cities and beyond? And we're, we're all about the experience. I mean, physical products that we do provide are 100% beyond single-use packaging, right? It doesn't crumple in your hand. It doesn't go soggy over time. (laughs) It retains heat. It's it's a different quality experience altogether. So it's not even a like-for-like. It's 100% something completely different. So so if you look at the Tesla model, which which is quite fascinating, is, you know, the electrification of our cities is still in in sort of a process. You've got your early adopters who buy into electric cars who will go through the pain of figuring out points that they can charge, who are very much aware that there isn't a even distribution of electric you know, points for charging across a city or elsewhere, but they want to be brought into the vision. They believe in the big plan um, towards you know, non-combustion. And, and they are willing to, to, to go in. Now, you have to be socialized into buying an electric car. It's mm-hmm. not something you just wake up thinking, I might try this. It requires socializing. And that is through me, sort of like, I mean, I mean, umpteen ways within which you have the entire reuse economy would need to do that. Collectively, you basically mm-hmm. start to exhibit what life would look like if it was a completely zero waste environment. So you have multiple different kinds of reuse brands operating in different types of spaces, whether it is food delivery or takeaway like us, or it's beauty products that are returned to Holland and Barrett's, or it's, you know, various things. And you start to socialize essentially the movement in the consumer's mind, and then you get a tipping point. But it has to be done by multiple players. There's always one or two that naturally stand out because they provide a, a superior experience than anybody else and they've figured out how to build a brand around it mm. and so that's that's ultimately our game and we know that this isn't going to be an overnight sort of you know light switch moment but there's always going to be a tipping point um my interests are of course we want to be the you know we, we have pioneered this space we started so early and since we've seen so much develop around us which is just amazing but there's a lot more work to be done. The incumbent is, you know, single-use packaging. And the more visibility we can give consumers on the realities of what happens to that, the better. And the more we can socialise the idea to them in different ways, the better. Mm. And the and the businesses or the hosts that, you, that you're working with at the moment, um, when you're, when you first start talking to them, what is it socialized for them in a business context? And, and what are normally their responses? What kind of problems are you solving for them? Are they open to kind of experimenting with these things? Yeah, I mean, they're leaders in their own way. 
So our initial hosts and the first folks who decide to sort of join, they've got, they have a demand from their own customers to be to be better, to be more zero waste. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's where it's coming from for the businesses? It's it's their customers are asking them to do it. Correct, correct. So that's one of our profiles for a host is to ensure that we pick we pick the ones that have a demand that are um, already showing specific signals that they are sustainable. So, for example, we're not trying to sell to a host which is buying, you know, uh, styrofoam. (laughs) Because for me, that tells me they don't have customers who who care or worry about this particular packaging item. Mm. Um, Or it also tells me, alternatively that they they the host doesn't actually even have a relationship with the customer as in they don't have any sort of social platform where they might be held to accountable because if they did or they were big enough their customers would definitely or if they were aware they would definitely complain yeah and so what we do is we focus on the ones that are buying um you know a compostable or some sort of product where where it gives us an indication that their customers care mm and that they want to step up and do something that would make them have a better experience. And so that's how you profile the right host. We're not selling mass market to hosts who only care on the commercials because, yes, I mean, styrofoam is going to be, what, three pence, four pence a week? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's nothing we can do for them in that context. There's no point us trying to waste energy selling to them or for them to be buying because there's no motivation from, from their customers. So you do need to really profile hosts quite cleverly and then work with them. They're leaders. Um, yeah. You know, they're on this journey with us. So we're very, very fortunate to have fantastic ones and we work very closely with them to make sure we keep that customer experience optimal. Mm. And, so, and it's an impressive list of of, um, of host companies that you work with on the website as well. Um, so can I ask then, Safia, what's what's next for you guys? I mean, you've just rebranded and relaunched across a kind of much wider array of, of packaging items. You've got this collaboration in King's Cross. What's next? Well, lots. Um, the first thing is we're, we're now expanding across London. So we very much started the journey to get King's Cross up and running. In a, in a very sort of tight geography and we've already started to expand beyond that we added our first university campus last week which is university college london one of the biggest very um, exciting yeah super and i'm an alumni from from there i studied architecture at the bartlett so oh, great. Very, <laughs> yeah so it feels very um it sort of yeah it feels like the right direction so university campuses are great students and you know they're so motivated a lot of our brand ambassadors are university grads or postgrads or undergrads and so yeah we we really feel that's a fantastic place um and we're expanding now across london so the we would love to hear from more hosts and support them in the journey towards zero waste. The the, the more stronger the network, um, the that higher volume we're going to see from um, customer orders. And we're going to look at scaling with our existing partners. So lots of work that we're going to do subsequently to ensure that we can, you know, we can allocate the service across all aspects of London. So not just King's Cross, but you know, go, go down south of the river as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the opportunity with our partnerships is to grow the service to more and more people in London over the next 12 months. And then we have an international plan for expansion after that. So we're taking Club Zero to other global cities, which is super exciting. 
That's very exciting indeed. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. We've got a couple of um, quick questions that we like to ask all our all of our interviewees, if that's okay. One is, yeah, um, do you have any top tips for um, for citizens? Uh, things, just a couple of you know, quick things apart, obviously, from looking for a, a Club Zero tick box on their Just Eat um, deliveries. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to citizens about what they can do about um, tackling the climate crisis? Oh, so for consumers, um, you know, there's there's lots of really great uh, products, uh, zero waste products that you can opt into. I think um, it's a really exciting time because we're, you know, we're seeing more and more of this become, you know, routine uh, as an option. Mm-hmm. You know, Fenty Beauty is doing a refillable um, beauty line, uh, which is Rihanna's uh line there's there's an there's an awful lot of movement in the refillable and reusable um space and i think it's it's going to get better over time so we would appreciate support participation feedback you know we're we're in this together we're developing this together so it's you know it's exciting time for consumers to co co collaborate and you know tell us what would work and how it could work better for them because this is very much you know, it's so new, it's so nascent. We're we're building a, a movement, and we would love people to get involved in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we're always looking for more ambassadors outside. So selfishly, if you're excited, yeah. come and say hi. And that's that's like our front line. Our brand ambassadors do amazing things um, yeah. within the brand. So that's that's probably my best is to look out for all of these options. Everybody's on Instagram. It's a yeah. great space to find, you know, all of these options and, and try them out. Yeah, fantastic. And finally, it's it's been a, a dark few years in, in lots of ways, but um, what's giving you hope at the moment? I think for me, the most important thing is, I mean, I have a two and a half year old. And so, oh, the most, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the sort of most important aspect is, you know, we all have to collectively do our bit and so what gives me hope is that in you know five to seven years I'll have set up a global you know reuse system across 20 or so cities to enable people to have the option right right now Mm -hmm. they don't and that is a super exciting it's a it's a very operational heavy (laughs) system (laughs) (laughs) getting that you know all built and scaled and I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, which keeps us up at night. But the thing that gives me hope is that this is something that's normalized. It's something that's integrated at city scale. It's something that we can really, truly deliver for consumers in in my lifetime so that the next generation is able to carry it forward and and improve it and make, make better things out of it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Lamia, what did you think? I mean, I really love what Club Zero is building. The carbon savings alone are really impressive. As Sophia said, their solution halves the amount of CO2 compared to single-use packaging. So that's really significant. And yeah. like for me, a really important step to tackling climate change. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really great to know that options like this exist. Um, not that far from where I live, actually, the, the, um, the King's Cross thing. So hopefully they'll just continue to become the norm. 
Definitely. And we're for sure seeing a growing interest in reusable or waste-free packaging solutions. So I think what's really key to these solutions becoming mainstream is not losing sight of the customer experience, as Club Zero have done, really making it easy for people to adopt, even when, for example, they're rushing to buy their cup of coffee when they're late for a meeting. Exactly. Oh, yeah. God, the number of times I've forgotten my reusable cup. Um, mm. Yeah slightly shaming um, and can I just say that I love the bit about the overlap between Sophia's architecture background and the work that she's doing now in particular because she described them both as um, being centered around design and systems thinking which makes absolute sense mm. and fundamentally how well-being has to be thought about at a city scale so whether that's designing a building or a packaging service it just makes you think about how many other services and sectors might be improved if they just thought about well-being and placed it at the heart of their thinking for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think another part of the interview that really struck me as well was her thoughts on consumers and how much power they hold. Yeah, I mean, I think when you think of the problem of climate change and how big it is, it, it can really feel easy to slip into this frame of thinking that our actions don't matter, that we won't have an impact. But I know from our work with businesses, we see firsthand how preoccupied and focused they are on satisfying customers and mm -hmm. therefore like how powerful we are as customers. So, yeah, Sophia's definitely offered some really compelling arguments and examples of, of how that's happening in practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think this topic actually leads quite nicely into our new segment where we discuss actions that you, the listener, can take to make a change in your own day to day life. Yes, I love this idea. I know you introduced it in the previous episode and I thought it was great. So just a useful way to overcome feeling despondent or overwhelmed and instead just gain a sense of confidence by knowing that there's steps you can take to make a difference right now. Yeah, that's really what we're trying to achieve with this new segment. Exactly that. So that brings me to the suggestions that we have for you all today. So, Lamia, what's up first? Well, first of all, obviously, for our listeners in the UK, next time you're Netflixing and chilling, looking to have your dinner delivered through Just Eat, why not see if you can use Club Zero? Yeah, and recognise as part of that, you know, in line with what Sophia was saying, that you do have the power to change things, even if it's on a micro level to start off with. So your decisions really do hold weight. I went into a lunch place recently to get a takeout and I just took my own bowl in with a lid and asked them if I could use it. And I knew that they didn't do it as standard, but they said yes. So I think people are generally supportive if you just ask. Mm -hmm. So what's next, Lemire? Well, the humble plastic bottle is still the most wasted single-use plastic item in our bins by weight. So one really simple tip should just always be to carry a reusable bottle. And you can also sign up to the Refill app, which maps all the refill points in London. And actually, I don't know if our listeners know, but the mayor of London has funded a network of drinking water fountains across mm. the capital where you can refill bottles while you're out and about. Yeah. And I think there's actually a bunch of other resources people can turn to, isn't there? Yeah, there's loads out there now about how to start cutting out all that unnecessary plastic in our lives. So if you want to get a grasp of just how much plastic and waste we're dealing with, our London Recycles social media accounts are a really good place to start. Lots of insights and tips on them. Um, we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Um, we also really love the Instagram account, which is a US-based one called at going.zero.waste. And it offers really accessible tips to introduce zero waste thinking into your daily life. But there's loads of these around on Instagram. All you have to do is just look up a few hashtags, like hashtag zero waste or hashtag plastic free. And maybe find a good London-based one to follow and let us know if you find a yeah. good one. So any more tips, Lamia? We've talked about on-the-go solutions. Is there anything for at home? 
Yeah. So actually, we're seeing loads of new solutions coming onto the market, including, for example, for like cleaning products. And I should say, actually, first of all, if you shop at refill stores, they do all the things like washing up liquid or laundry detergent. But if you can't go to a refill store, you can still buy these products in bulk and it often works mm -hmm. out cheaper and you'll still cut down on your plastic waste. But we are also seeing some really beautiful refillable household cleaning products on the market, um, such as Home Things, who we've actually also worked with. And the way it works is you can buy the container and they send you the product in a condensed format. So you just need to add water and it saves plastic and CO2. Brilliant. So there's them and there's loads of other businesses like this out there. So particularly here in London, actually. And it's exciting that we get to work with so many of them. They're so inspiring. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Lamia, for joining us today. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved joining in. Thanks very much to Sophia Qureshi for taking the time to speak with me. And as ever, thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at relondon underscore UK and use the hashtag revolution of stuff to get involved in the conversation. We'll be back very soon with another episode. So bye for now. Bye.